0: you're listening to a toronto center podcast welcome the goal of tc podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders experts and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation In each episode, we will delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation, the financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Toronto Centre podcast. I'm Shalina Visram, Program Director at Toronto Centre. Our conversation today will focus on the supervisory challenges during and after a very peculiar crisis like the COVID-19 and what financial supervisors and regulators should focus on. There is much to think about and to do arising from this global pandemic crisis. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking virtually with John Patterson, a seasoned Toronto Centre program leader, a financial consultant, and a former bank officer. John's interests include not only financial supervision and regulation, where he has written a book, but increasingly he has specialized in risk management issues. His latest book will appear after this crisis abates and is called Breaking Banks, managing risk management welcome john
1: thank you very much shalina Uh, i just wanted to emphasize at the beginning uh, how important this crisis is for the official sector it will affect not only the day-to-day lives of supervisors it will affect those who set regulation and change the standards for the system it's affecting central banks who are managing liquidity And it's also affecting treasuries and finance ministries, who are the backstops. And I would like to add that this really emphasizes all of the things that the Toronto Centre has been doing over the years, and especially in its crisis management programs.
0: Thank you, John, for those introductory remarks. Let's move on to um, our first question. So, In terms of uh, the current crisis, what, in your view, are the issues that especially concern you in this crisis, particularly those that may not appear immediately obvious?
1: Well, Shalina, I think one way to look at any problem is to ask yourself what isn't changing and to see whether you can leverage that. And one factor that isn't changing now is that financial institutions can't change, can't manage what they can't measure. And supervisors can't supervise when they don't have data, artifacts, and behavior that they're prohibited from seeing. So I think we have to fall back on what we already know, and that is we have a whole host of data metrics. We have methodologies that aren't changing, and we should use them. Secondly, it's easier to forget today uh, that some basics are extremely important, and one of them is data definitions. Uh, For the last 20 years, supervisors have tried to make sure we have standardized measures of all sorts of risk metrics. Now, there have been problems in doing that. But you see at a time like this, you have to ask yourself, what do those risk metrics mean? What are they telling us? So that's not new, but it's it's something to fall back on that we have a methodology for dealing with that. And I'm just going to highlight one aspect of that, and that is the definition of default. Now, we're going to talk later in this podcast about that, but surely when you've got something that's been so important for your whole methodology as a definition of default, it's obscured now, and we need to talk today about what that might mean. I guess a third thing that isn't really changing is that financial institutions are churning out day-by-day, week-by-week financial metrics, risk measurements, and supervisors should have full access to those. So they should have, even during this time when people work from home, access, as they did in the past, to a whole range of risk metrics. Now, I think another aspect of this, something that isn't changing, is that we've often talked to ourselves about expected losses and unexpected losses. And often we obscure that because people focus on what the known knowns are. And those are are expected losses, which should be budgeted for. But capital should have nothing to do with expected losses. You budget for them over the course of the year. Capital is all about unexpected losses. And I think a crisis like this really emphasizes this issue that we know about, but in fact haven't put adequate attention to in differentiating between expected and unexpected losses. And once again, to repeat, Capital is only needed for unexpected losses. Now, uh, I guess another thing that isn't changing is that each institution that's supervised must be able to delineate its risk drivers for all of its risk management systems. So every supervisor should be able to look at the risk rating systems, the internal methodologies, and say, what are those drivers? What are the metrics that drive the risk management? Because those risk drivers affect their their entire risk management system, loss experience and capital. Now, this is a bit of a problem now because how many countries and how many institutions would have put COVID or epidemic-like drivers into the risk management systems, into, into credit risk or into operational risk? Well, we know that China, Korea and Singapore and other countries have had experience. But we really now today need to ask ourselves, how are we managing risk management systems, risk rating systems in financial institutions, and how are they performing at a time when they have new challenges? And finally, on this point, uh, we have to ask ourselves whether we have structural issues with a new issue like this, a new risk issue, or do we have a calibration issue? Do we need to really think about how we calibrate risk and capital? Or do we need to think through the fact that we're missing drivers? My final point on what isn't changing is that critical issue of supervisory judgment. And judgment carries uh, heavy weight with supervisors, both on a daily basis and on those critical occasions when you have to exercise prompt corrective action. So I think today we need to say, how do you exercise that in a situation of the COVID crisis? Uh, Are you able just as well to exercise day-by-day judgment with what you're seeing? And when in this situation does it call for prompt corrective action when you may not be getting full information? So all that is to say these are nothing new. These are supervisory issues that we've faced all along, but we face them in new ways today.
0: So basically, I think the message here is use good judgment, and use a risk-based type of an approach to, you know, do the best you can to assess the risks now and prepare going forward. So with that, can you shed some light on what does this crisis mean today and what do financial supervisors need to focus on?
1: Well, there are a few things. The first one is that I think it calls for a balancing act in the interpersonal skills of a supervisor, because they know that they may not have full information. They know that they're going to be having to go out to institutions, getting people at home, seeking information. And I think it's going to put new stresses and new demands on supervisors. And in many ways, I think this is not at all a bad thing because it will sharpen those skills. And those in financial institutions will realize that those in the supervisory sector are trying to achieve the same goals they are. So I think this is a challenge, but I think it's a worthwhile challenge and one that will up the game for supervisors. But a second challenge is really my main concern. What does anything mean today? If you have loan deferrals and you have payment holidays, what does that mean for the definition of default? We know that that definition of default is hardwired into all of our metrics in all of our standards and indeed many countries have had problems enforcing the definition of default but now we find that there are new barriers to interpreting definition of default but if definition of of default is going to be faulty what does that mean for our loss statistics but if our loss statistics are wrong how can institutions evaluate their day-to-day losses and day-to-day management of risks using the risk rating systems. But if their loss statistics and risk rating systems aren't working well, then your capital estimates are not going to be working well. Now, this is something we're going to continue to talk about, and it is an important issue. I would like to add, though, that the Toronto Centre has a recent note on the supervisory response to the COVID crisis with respect to credit quality, which is an excellent document, and worth reading in this context. Now, I think the other issue that we should just uh, finalize with here is that there's a lot of information flow that will put pressure on making judgment, as I said earlier. And this is a test of supervisory skills. But there's an interesting sidelight here, and that is financial supervisors are at the center of receiving information from a large number of stressed institutions. And these stressed institutions are important for central banks, finance ministries, as well as the supervisory system itself. So I think one of the fringe benefits here is that supervisors are in a position to provide information to central banks and other part of the official sector months before this information would possibly be seen in official statistics. So I think that's a bonus that the supervisory sector should think about how it provides. I think we also should look at the threads that run through all of these uh, processes. Uh, And we have to realize that supervision and capital and risk are all based on assumptions. They're not hardwired, they're not perfect. So we know that as you have any type of crisis, we need to look at how processes work. So, If we look at credit risk, as I've said earlier, we do have a serious problem in that your standardized metrics are not going to be performing as well. They may not mean much. And I think that supervisors need to consider, since we use historical data moving forward to estimate losses in capital, whether or not we should take six months or nine months out of this year and totally suppress the data. In other words, the data will not mean much whereas the loan loss data that starts to emerge in the autumn, in the winter, and next year will be more meaningful. So since we use historical data to assess institutions, we should think about how we're using that data. Now, another issue and thread that runs through this that people really forget about quite often is that correlations of default play an important role in setting capital standards. Now, it's a hidden variable, people don't worry about it a lot, but we always know that that correlation is going to be wrong at different times. And at a time like this, we know that all sorts of correlations of losses are going to be occurring that were never planned for. For example, uh, retail loan losses and real estate loan losses are now going to be correlated. Many loan losses among small businesses are going to be correlated that weren't correlated before. What does that mean? It means that your, first off, your default data is going to explode in a way, in that defaults are going to start to flow from one to the other and that were not contemplated in the numbers. Secondly, once you have a, a correlation of default, you also find that asset values will fall. Collateral will be used from other sources and guarantees. And those now may be correlated with other losses. So we have to say that at this particular time, we have a standardized methodology. But one of the important variables, the uh, correlation variable, is now suddenly going to be uh, wrong. I think it it tells us things that we're going to have to think about for the present and things for the future, and we can come back to those uh, as you see fit, Shalina.
0: That's great. Thanks, John. So, this is actually a nice segue into uh, something we should talk about. So, so far, the conversation has focused on sort of what are some of the things that supervisors are currently focused on as they are going through this crisis. So, John, what does this mean for the future, both getting out of this crisis? And more importantly, returning to a more stable supervisory world.
1: Well, first off, it gives us quite a few things that we have to look at: the modeling that's used in institutions, the internal data, and another aspect that I feel is very important is all financial institutions are required to validate periodically, every year or two, their risk rating systems, models, and scorecards. Now, this will shed tremendous light on how their existing systems are working. So here is a process that's ready-made for supervisors now to start looking at. A second issue is how has Pillar 2 been functioning? The COVID crisis in many ways is a Pillar 2 crisis. There are variables here in non-included variables, operational risk losses, and other things that are classic Pillar 2 issues. So I think going forward, we need to be looking at how those have been working. Another issue you might think of as minor, but is is certainly relevant here, is that each financial institution uses many different types of risk rating systems. Some are called point in time, and some are through the cycle. So for example, a credit card risk rating system would be point in time, because you can't allow somebody two years to default on a credit card. Whereas if you're a mining company, you may have a, a two year through the cycle rating system. But what's interesting about the COVID crisis is this has accelerated many of the risks. So I think many firms and supervisors in turn will have to look at how these systems are working, for example, point in time versus through the cycle. Market risk, I'll just deal with briefly. 2008 and 2009 was a period of high volatility. Everybody who's calculating market risk today should have been using the volatility from those dates. So supervisors should be seeing how are each institutions using those uh, volatility data and historical market risk data. And in the future, I have to say, firms should be using not only the 2008-2009 data, but the 2020 COVID data, because we now have data that's relevant for looking at how market risk occurs. And finally, in terms of the trilogy of capital components, uh, we have to ask whether op-risk capital has been properly modelled, has it been properly surveyed and assessed in Pillar 2, were Pillar 2 adjustments made, and is there cause now for future action in terms of op-risk capital now that we have experience? Now, the Toronto Centre has already been looking at op-risk and business continuity planning, but... My point is not the planning, it is the capital that goes with it and how we need to assess that.
0: So how would this these risks that you identified, pillar true issues, market risk, credit risk, operational risk, in your view, would the approach be and the impact be any different if we were talking about uh, a developing country versus a developed country?
1: That's an excellent question. And there are many, many factors that will affect the outcome. I'd just like to mention three. The first one is demographics. We just have learned in the last week that the situation in Africa is looking better than people originally thought. Why is that? Because the average age of the population is much less than Western Europe, for example. The incidence of COVID on people under 35, it's much less. So there is hope that in Africa, the infection rate, will in fact be better than people had thought. So we have to look at demographics. Secondly, we have to look at population density. So in a country like India, you may have a youthful demographic profile, but you may have a high density. So that will affect the spread of the virus. So those are two key factors, demographics and population density. And finally, of course, something that we are not experts on by any means is the whole healthcare sector. Because whatever the outcome is from demographics, population density, the healthcare system will have to deal with it. So I think those two factors that that affect me the most in terms of my favorable assessment is that demographics should be a good and favorable factor. And secondly, countries with lower population densities in the emerging world should do better. That isn't entirely hopeful but it gives us some reasons to think that some places will do better than others.
0: So we talked a little bit about the risks. So what about our priorities and suggestions for supervisory methodology?
1: I would like to divide that into two components, the short run and the longer or medium term. In the short run, supervisors need to be examining the basic financial risk profile balance sheet of financial institutions And coming up with conclusions, not only as to individual institutions, but for the system as a whole. And I'll give you an example. Europe has given uh, advice to restrict dividends uh, on financial institutions. And that may be entirely the correct answer. But we've already got institutions there, in fact, a large number of them trading at less than book value with companies that have not rebuilt their capital base from the last crisis. And without the ability to pay dividends, will they have the ability to raise capital to dig themselves out of this uh, current COVID crisis? Now, I'm not saying that that was not the right answer. I'm saying the financial analysis may pose another issue of being able to capitalize these banks through the difficult times. Now, the other issue, of course, is the judgment issue. And this shows that By allowing institutions to have too many years to rebuild their capital bases, you then run into the next crisis. So basic financial analysis and prompt corrective judgment go together. A second short run issue is the data exists today to look at the loss experience of financial institutions. Related to that, the data exists to look at risk rating performance, how the systems of an institution are working. And Thirdly, some of these institutions have the ability to look through this data and do stress tests on the risk ratings uh, and the entire components of their portfolio. They can shift the ratings, they can look at different defaults. So that type of stress testing ability that many banks have is very much worthwhile at a time like this. And finally, because as we emerge from this, the problems may start to become more severe, we need to be examining the emergence of lost data. And that may mean mean even going out to risk managers and institutions and trying to decipher from them what exactly is going on below the surface since we know default data may be faulty now. But that's in the short term. The medium term, in my mind, is very, very important. And why? Because we've had three viruses in 20 years. SARS, H1N1, and now COVID we have to believe that we want to risk proof our systems. We have to decide how much capital is needed when systems are so vulnerable. So we de- need to essentially find out what we can about this crisis and decide how to how to make things better when the next one happens. The first thing is it's gonna take two to three years for us to determine what the loss experience was from this crisis. But we need to be able to decipher that. We need to be able to take the data including from the corrupt uh, loan default data which we know isn't working well now and find out what really was the loss experience during this time. A second step goes back to another earlier point and that is validation. Every institution should have these reports and in the next two years it will be even more important than ever for financial institutions to validate their risk systems. And that information should come directly to supervisors as well And look at the opportunity for peer assessments here, looking at how different institutions have weathered this storm and whether the validation of the system shed lights on whether some banks and other companies have done better than others. Uh, A third issue is stress testing. We know that some people have good short run capacity to stress test portfolios. Others only do, do it periodically. We need to look at that and decide what must be done, what what kind of advice we need to give on it. And related to that is what kind of advice do we give in general for what kind of stresses that we should be demanding when the crisis is over? Because supervisors today specify what type of stresses we want to see. I think we need to revisit that, not only in that structural sense, but in the month to month ability to stress a portfolio. And finally, as a medium-term issue, do we have a structural issue? In other words, we haven't done something right in terms of uh, our capital allocation. We know, for example, that op-risk capital was never a very good measure of operational risk. But do we need to look at structural issues or do we need to look at calibration issues? In other words, we stick with what we've got, but we need to recalibrate how much capital we need. Now, I have to emphasize we know that capital is understated now. We know that the correlation coefficient is wrong. It's underestimating the correlation of defaults and hence the number of defaults. We know that risk drivers are missing. People weren't calculating on this type of thing. So we know we have an issue here after the crisis to decipher how the risk management systems and processes were working.
0: Lots of things going on here. Uh, Should we take a moment perhaps, John, and maybe you can summarize some of the key points?
1: Thank you. Uh, I think the big point for me is that we have an, an inadequate basis today to evaluate our standards for a crisis like this. We don't have a, a, a metric for the risk losses. We don't have a risk metric for the uh, standards of loss. We don't aren't able to evaluate whether our risk rating systems were working. And we don't know whether because the capital coefficients weren't properly measured, whether we've underestimated. So we have an evaluation job to do. Secondly, we have jobs to do both with individual institutions in terms of the risk management processes and system-wide. And we need to know how some of our tools have been working. And I include pillar two as a tool because that's supposed to be pulling up the loose ends of risks, unquantifiable risks, uh, weaknesses in systems, and we need to be seeing how those things can work. So essentially, I think this is a job of deciphering from the data and the information we're being given uh, what has happened, what the quantitative importance is, what we've learned from it, and what advice we give going forward.
0: So that makes sense. Um, And to quote uh, Winston Churchill here, uh, never let a good crisis go to waste. So is there any good news here?
1: I think there's there are several bits of good news. One of them is we have a logical framework. This to me is marvelous. We've got a system that's been built up over the years to collect data, has a standardized methodology, looks at breakdowns of risks. So we have that and we have the data that goes with it. So now we have a basis to build on to try and assess what's happening here. And I guess the other good news for supervisors and indeed for the whole official community, Is there more important than ever? Questions are being asked across the board on the standards for financial institutions, accounting standards, whether the changes that have been done in recent months have been the right changes. Have the liquidity measures taken by central banks been right? Have the measures taken by the uh, treasuries been correct? And how have they worked their way through? Because don't forget, they will filter their way through the financial sector and buffer some of the potential losses. We haven't even begun to talk about deposit insurers, so the work here for the official sector is is setting a new agenda for them and I don't think that's a bad thing. We should profit by the crisis, as you say.
0: Thank you, John. This session has been very insightful, and you've highlighted some of the some of the challenges that our that our financial supervisors are facing. And more importantly, you've highlighted what are some of the things they should focus on, not only now, but as they prepare for the phase of post-crisis. So thank you very much for your time. You've been listening to our Toronto Centre podcast, and thank you all for joining us.